coming up. He said the only way to really stop it is to bring it out of the shadows, is for people to, as the cliche goes, see something, say something. For Vault Studios, I'm Reed Redmond. You're listening to The Daily Crime. Last month, investigators say 13 dogs had to be rescued from a home in Missouri after police found an alleged dogfighting ring. Your horror is over. An anonymous tipper led North County Police Cooperative officers to 57-year-old Brian Macklin's house in Hanley Hills last week. Our investigators discovered a plethora of dogs um, that were stashed in a detached garage on the property location um, in deplorable Conditions. This raid comes more than a decade after the largest dogfighting bust in U.S. history, referred to as the Missouri 500. One investigator who played a role in that case tells local news station KSDK in St. Louis, the recent bust shows dogfighting is still a secret subculture. And it transcends all social and economic boundaries. Do you think that this phenomenon, this crime, will ever stop? It's hard to say that it will ever stop. Again, because of that passion that the dog fighters have. But if more people report what they see, it certainly can be curtailed. Christine Byers is joining us from local news station KSDK in St. Louis. Christine, thanks for joining us once again. Thanks for having me. You recently reported a story on dog fighting in Missouri that begins with a list of occupations. A high school football coach, a nurse, a teacher, a CEO, and an auto body shop worker What do all of these professions have in common? Where did that list come from? So basically, that is a list of professions that dogfighters have had um, in their daytime jobs, and they moonlight as dogfighters. They were all arrested in a historic case in Missouri known as the Missouri 500 about 12 years ago. And now we are adding an auto body shop worker to that list. And you learned about all of this in talking with someone named Terry Mills. Tell us about Terry. What's his background look like? Sure. So Terry Mills was a police officer for his career. And back in 2008, 2009, he was with the Missouri Highway Patrol. And as part of his assignment there, he detached to a federal task force and went undercover as a dogfighter for about 18 months. What did he tell you about that experience, what was that like to to be undercover kind of in that secretive world? He said that it definitely was a secretive world, a total subculture is what he is the way he put it. It was just such a secretive subculture and it stayed in the shadows. And he said that, you know, dog fighters are just driven by ego and greed. And they're, those are basically tied for first place as far as a motive goes in this, in this subculture. Um, they strive to have a bloodline, a championship bloodline, which in the dogfighting world means a dog that has won three to five fights in a row. And they will just, it's like an addiction for them. They'll do whatever it takes to, even if they have no money, he said they'll do whatever it takes to get their dog to have a championship bloodline. These dog fighters obviously do consider these dogs valuable and will do whatever they can to get them back. Basically, he said he recalled an example of, of them going to make an arrest on a dog fighter and that the wife met them at the door and said, I'm so glad you're here. 
He buys food for the dogs, but he won't feed his kids. Mills played a role in this 2009 bust you mentioned, the largest dogfighting bust in not just the history of Missouri, but the history of the entire country. What were the details of that case? Exactly. So the undercover operation that he was part of apparently also spanned four states, but Missouri and Illinois were definitely the base of the operation. And when they took down the dogfighting ring, they seized over 400 pit bulls um, as part of that. And then they had over 20 pregnant females who gave birth to 153 puppies. So then it became known as the Missouri 500 case. Going back to that list of occupations we talked about at the start, you mentioned that auto body shop worker was recently added to that list. Talk about that case, that recent bust in St. Louis County. Exactly. So there was an anonymous call to a police department in North St. Louis County Uh, A neighbor was concerned about seeing a pit bull tied to a tree, which uh, chained to a tree, actually, all the time. The neighbor said that never seemed like the dog was let inside or given, you know, adequate food and and nourishment and everything else. So that's sort of how it started. Um, And then police went to the address, went to do, you know, welfare check on the animal and everything. And while they were there, They heard dogs barking and crying and a bunch of noise coming from a very small garage on the property. And they were able to get inside there and found a total of 13 dogs that were kept in terrible conditions inside this very small garage, cages stacked up on one after the other, uh, no light inside there. Very little light, actually, just like one light bulb. Um, But it was very dark in there, very hot in there. And there was just a lot of injuries to the animals. Multiple dogs had had marks, scars, injuries that are consistent with uh, dog fighting. Some of them were emaciated. And at one point during during the bust, one of the officers said to the dogs, your horror is over. Tonight, a man faces charges after police rescued 13 dogs from his home. When you talk to Terry Mills about this recent bust, I mean, this is someone who's dedicated a huge portion of his career to investigating dog fighting. I imagine it's difficult to know that it's still such a persistent problem. Yeah, I mean, he he retired from the Highway Patrol after that investigation and actually went on to work for the ASPCA. And his title with the ASPCA is Director of Blood Sport Investigations. So he, like you said, has definitely dedicated um, this part of his career to combating this particular crime. And so, unfortunately, he does continue to hear about dogfighting going on Um, all over the country. And he was very disheartened, of course, to hear of another case in St. Louis, in the St. Louis area, where he was very familiar with. But, you know, he also talked about how there will be um, that one dog that the dogfighter is really trying to make their champion sort of dog, and it comes at the expense of all the other dogs. Um, That dog gets all of the attention, the food, the, the care, the nourishment, the medicine, um, everything that dog needs, it gets, you know, and the others suffer. Your recent reporting looked at a couple other big questions related to this recent bust. One is what anti-cruelty laws in Missouri and Illinois look like today, more than a decade after that Missouri 500 case. 
What exactly did you learn when you looked into that? So basically, there hasn't been a lot of progress. Um, Although Illinois, um, ironically, has been ranked number one in the nation by the Animal Defense League, and this is an organization that looks at laws, anti-cruelty laws across the country, and, and lobbies for better laws. But they also make this sort of list of the you know, the best and worst states in their opinion when it comes to anti-cruelty laws. And Illinois held the number one spot for having the best laws in place for about 14 years and was just uh, knocked out of first place and now is in second place by the state of Maine. And then Missouri, however, which was, again, you know, the central focus of the Missouri 500 case, it has not really improved over all that time at all. This last ranking put it at number 34 for anti-cruelty laws. Another question you looked at is the big question here, why dogfighting keeps happening. Obviously, that's a really complex question, but what explanation can you give for why this continues to happen? You know, I posed that question to Terry Mills. I said, you know, after all this time and the investigations and the efforts and everything, why does this keep happening? And he basically said it's because these people are driven by ego and greed. Why do people like this? It's all about money, like most crimes. It's about money. But in this particular crime, ego is a very close second. They all aspire to have a bloodline known to the other dogfighters. And that this culture operates in such secret, you know, shadows and that sort of thing that it just continues to go on. It will continue to go on. Um, it is a it is a longstanding phenomena. And he just said that, you know, we just have much more awareness about the issue going on, which is great because he said the only way to really stop it is to bring it out of the shadows, is for people to, as the cliche goes, see something, say something. You know, like the, they call it the STL 13 case, the case that I referenced earlier with the 13 dogs that were recently taken out of a dog fighting operation here in St. Louis. Um, you know, that, like we said, that that case began with a, with a neighbor calling the police out of concern for a dog chained to a tree. And that led to the, you know, discovery of 13 total dogs there. So, um, it really is a matter of trying to take this out of the shadows and expose it, and people need to call police. What are some other signs of a dogfighting operation that we can all keep an eye out for when we're out in our own neighborhoods? Sure. So Terry Mills said that there are a couple of, of obvious signs that it is going on. You know, certainly a lot of pit bulls coming and going, um, very loud gatherings on a Friday or Saturday night where you don't necessarily hear the dogs, but you hear a lot of people, a lot of people yelling. Also, dog yard, dog fighting yards typically have sort of modified exercise equipment, treadmills especially, um, that are used for the dogs. There's also um, ropes tied to tree limbs where they will have the dogs bite onto these ropes and hang there And basically, that's to strengthen their jaws. So they will do that as well. And then there are stands which are called breeding stands where basically they can lock a female dog into place um, 
and so she won't attack uh, the male dog that is brought to breed with her and then vice versa, that the male dog cannot attack her because most often both of the dogs are fighting dogs that are mated like that. Sort of odd-looking contraptions that dogs can be locked into. So um, also another part of the dog fighting yard, another obvious sign is, is a very high privacy fence usually with a lot of overgrown vegetation. Again, these people don't want to be seen they don't want to be exposed, so um, you know it might be kind of hard to actually see all these things as well. What happens to the dogs following a bust like the recent STL thirteen case? You know, it, it's a very unfortunate tale because you you hear about the bust and you think, oh, thank goodness these dogs are are rescued. You know, the it's over for them. But you know, it's it's just beginning in a lot of ways as well. Um, you just have rescue groups that are out there trying to do the best that they can. I'm just checking her ears, looking at her teeth, feeling her body. It's more mental. It's what you can't see that is going to be tough on her. This pit bull is one of the STL-13. It's a name a Missouri rescue group gave the dogs seized from a dog fighting ring in North St. Louis County on September 6th. She's pretty shut down at this point. The I-team caught up with her and two other pit bulls at the rescue shelter. Couple of bite marks here. He's got a nice one on his eye. They just kind of got to do what they can because most of the dogs go to a government animal control type of facility right off the bat. And then from there, rescue groups can can try to get involved and, and take as many dogs as they can. So far, the three that we've taken have presented to be very scared, not aggressive, but they have not had a chance to decompress yet. So anything is still possible. They're far from fine. There's no happily ever after. But these dogs come with a whole host of issues. Um, a lot of them have never had proper veterinary care. You know, you talk about fleas, mange, parvo, um, all kinds of medical issues. Tick-borne illness was a big issue for the dogs in the STL-13 case. But Terry Mills and the ASPCA also have some infrastructure in place where they can come in after a dog fighting bust is made and coordinate care for these dogs. In in this particular case, they are getting involved. Um, after our story aired, I sort of put Terry Mills in touch with the rescue group that's working on the case. And so they're getting some of the other dogs out of the shelter. And, you know, I asked the rescue group and I asked Terry Mills, are some of these dogs just beyond saving? I mean, a dog fighting pit bull is a you know, a big concern, a big worry. And both of them said, you know, every dog they believe can be saved. The problem with a dog fighting dog is the amount of time and effort it takes to sort of rewire their brains. Can these dogs be saved? I'm not saying they can't be saved with enough money and time. But rarely do, does any organization have that kind of money and time. We're talking years of intense, like, working with them one-on-one, -on -one, trying to earn their trust. And it's just not possible in some cases. You know, Terry Mills said he knows of several examples of, of dog fighting dogs who are in the care of people that are just determined to save them. And they've been in in these, you know cages and, and shelters for years and that not enjoying a typical dog's life with a family. Um, so, you know, they don't want to say that 
Some of these dogs cannot be saved, but it is a very significant challenge. In this recent STL 13 case, a 58-year-old man named Brian Macklin is facing a laundry list of charges. Can you walk through what charges he's facing and what's next in that case? Yes. So he is facing uh, one felony charge and the rest are misdemeanors. And he has been let out on bond and he is expected to appear in court in October. Christine Byers with KSDK in St. Louis. Thanks as always for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. And thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Crime. We're here with a new one every day of the week, Monday through Friday. So make sure you're subscribed to or following the podcast wherever it is you're listening right now. If you're trying to figure out what to listen to next, you can head over to vaultstudios.com for a full list of our shows that includes our weekly podcast, True Crime Chronicles, also co-hosted by me and Will Johnson. That'll do it for this one. Until next time, for Vault Studios, I'm Reed Redmond. Redmond.